Back in on Canuck Central in Kintech Studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. I love these days. We have like a whole bunch of topics that we're like ready to bring to the show. We're meat grinding, thinking about some like next level topics to bring up. Yeah. What we're going to talk about, how to do something different than we did yesterday. And then Patrick Alvin announces a trade for Nikita Zadorov. <laughs> That's usually how it goes. But um, yeah, Zadorov. Yes, big six six. You know, massive. I, even Ian Cole, I think he he might be the heaviest of the bunch. Yeah, well, <laughs> he's, he's like he's probably the he's, thickest player. Yeah, he's six one, so he, it's not like he lacks size. Um, it like they have a lot of heft they on do. the back end. There is a question about do you have enough puck movement and how you move that in together. And, yeah, and we have a lot of comments and questions too, and people mentioning even Ethan Bear will I go after him, and we'll talk about those things a bit after we speak to uh, Dolly Wall, but. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's not a perfect blue line, but they certainly have size and they have a real credible defenseman throughout the blue line when they're healthy. Uh, this is a, a special day here on Canuck Central uh, as we get uh, the better half of Donnie and Dolly on the show <laughs> for once. 10 to noon on uh, Czech TV, it's Donnie and Dolly. Usually Don Taylor joins us on Monday, but today, special edition, we get Rick Dollywall here on, uh, on Canuck Central after the Zadorov trade. Thanks for this, Rick. How are you? I owe you a drink for that. Uh, <laughs> take it to the bank. Take it to the bank. That's it. Uh, we, we, I know you've been on it that the Canucks uh, were, you know, one of the teams that are going to be significantly interested in in Nikita Zadorov. But are you surprised it happened today? Yeah, I, I, what I was told uh, is this: very simply, Dan, this trade doesn't happen unless the Canucks move out uh, Bavillier, right? Mm-hmm. So that opened the door for the 3.7 million for Zadorov. Uh, that cap space enabled them to go after a player they've coveted a very long time. Do not discount this. This was Vancouver's number one tar- target, and don't discount this as well. Rick Tockett's fingerprints are all over it. He loves the size. He loves the skating. He loves the hits. Go back to Saturday night hockey a few weeks back when the Flames were in Toronto. Remember Zadorov nailed that least player inside the blue line. That is what they love about this player. Now players will think twice about crossing the Vancouver blue line in the middle of the ice. This is a guy, you know, Tockett always raves about the Las Vegas blue line, big and strong and mobile. Well, guess what? You know, this is Tockett's way of trying to uh, get to that. Not not skill-wise, but I, we are talking size. We're talking about a guy who loves to hit. The other thing about... As a door off that you, I, I think Vancouver fans will like is his care meter is high. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is that Vancouver was high on his list of destinations. Last week, the Canucks made an offer. They kept going at it. The only thing that surprises me, Dan, in this whole thing was a few weeks ago, uh, the Flames had said, you know, we don't want to trade in the division. We don't want to trade to Vancouver. And that was what all the, you know, people were, were being told, and even the Canucks knew that they didn't want to trade him in the division. The only surprising thing about, to me, is that when did they change your mind? But hockey people change your minds all the time. But uh, I think this is uh, no. By the way, no contract extension came with the trade. I was mm-hmm. told this was a possible sign and trade about two weeks ago. But I will be shocked if the Vancouver Canucks don't get an extension done with Nikita. Uh, the cap's going up. Um, you, you guys know it's going yeah. up. 
But uh, I, I will not be surprised if not not right away because they need to know, know their cap number two uh, heading into the summer. I'll be surprised if they don't uh, get get something done and keep him here long term. It's one of those things, right, Rick, where you probably want to wait, like you mentioned, get some clarity on what's happening with Pedersen, get some clarity on what the yeah, number is going to be yeah, like for Hironic. Exactly. Once they figure those things out, then you can you know, get something done with, with Nikita Zadorov. Because you're right, uh, clearly the team likes him, but it seems like from everything you, you've reported, the player is also very high on wanting to be here. Yeah, and when a player go, goes out of his way to say that I want, I want to go to Vancouver, and if he would have hit July 1st, so guys, Let's say the Canucks don't make this deal. And let's say Flames stick to their guns and say, we don't want him in the division. Then the only way the Canucks could have got him is July 1st. And I am very confident to tell you guys that Vancouver would have been high on his list of places to go on July 1st as well. But I do want to say this to, to both of you. It was always going to be uh, Zadorov or Chris Tanev. I think deep down that the Tanev camp was wishing this deal today was Tanev going to Vancouver. Chris still loves the city, never wanted to leave. You know, maybe you can now get him on July 1st, but you might re-sign Zadorov. Time will tell how it plays out, but I, I believe the two targets in Calgary were those two players, and, and I know that Chris Tanev uh, still holds the city of Vancouver in, in really, really, really high regard. Yeah, the the, the way uh, – you know, I think uh, part of the reason Calgary was uh, more open to trading with Vancouver is, uh, as we've seen a, a couple of people report – Vancouver was the only team willing to do this without uh, needing Calgary to retain after they traded the Billier. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. they, they had the space to do it. And I think after everything that happened with Zadorov, it, it feels as though Calgary also wanted to get it done sooner, yeah. sooner rather than later. Right. Yeah, I agree. And okay. So guys look at the left side now, Hughes, Cole, yeah. Zadorov. And when Susie comes back, that's pretty good. Now here's the thing. Now, it's going to get tricky here because everyone wants the Canucks to get right shot D, but I was told yesterday that expect the first trade to be a left shot, and boom, it's Nikita left shot. Now, what I can tell both of you is the Canucks are still going to go after Ethan Bear. Now, Bear's not going to sign for two or three weeks. Bear looks like, for me, and I'm guessing here, after you know working the phones on this, but that could be a one-year deal at around $1 million, which is prorated. So the Canucks are either going to have to clear out more cap space or, you know, maybe you send Juleson down to make room. Bears got five to six teams um, that are going to be after him. And the Canucks will be in there, but I've heard other teams will be aggressive as well. If you don't get Bear, you might have to ask Cole to play the right side, which he has done before in Carolina. But um, there's a lot of left side, right side, a lot of that stuff going on with the Canucks in the last uh, few weeks. They've been after a defenseman since training camp, guys. Mm-hmm. But today, this is a big one for me. I, I, I like this move. I, I, you know, the cost, you guys talked about the cost isn't super high. And I, and I reported yesterday the Canucks are not willing to cough up their first-round pick. Uh, uh, it's not in play. But as we have learned so many times in hockey, you know, hockey people change your minds just like you and I. Yeah. Uh, we do every day, too. You make a decision, then you change your mind. But I was told the Canucks' uh, first-round pick is not in play. They love LaCara Mackey's uh, uh, progression, and they love Will Landers. So that's telling them. You know, one of the reasons they got the farm team is, is not, you know, super filled with super great prospects is because for five years in a row they traded so many first- and second-rounders. I don't think they want to do that again. 
No, I, I'm with you too. I think they'd like to hold on to those pro- prospects. And if you're if they are trading a first round pick, Rick, it would have been for somebody who's going to be here long term, not a rental. And and I think that's why ultimately the Chris Tanev one was never going to work with Vancouver. He's got such a great reputation. Teams are after him. The cost is significantly higher than Zadorov. And oh, but they, it is yes. right. And they would have asked for a premium from Vancouver. So as much as Vancouver may have been interested in Tanev, I don't think it was ever a realistic trade possibility because it would have cost way more than they would have been willing to pay. Yeah, I agree. And Tanev, I, I, there's a lot of people in town that would have, it would have been a great story. Chris comes back. He should have never left in the first place, guys. You know, he yeah. should have had 10 years of service. And before he hit July 1st, he never got a contract offer from the Vancouver Canucks. He should never have hit the market. He had instructed his agent to cut a deal in Vancouver, get it done. And it never happened. And, you know, that, that was the, that was the summer they lost Tanev to Foley, Stetcher, Markstrom, um, and I think there was one more guy, but that was just an awful, awful off season coming out of the bubble in Edmonton. But I don't think Chris should have ever left. But if, if there is going to be a reunion with Chris, it might have to be on July 1st. Uh, but I, 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 I really do believe, guys, that the Canucks, uh, they acquired this player, Nikita, for two reasons, because obviously they like him and they probably want to get him here signed long term at some point as well. So. You know, on the Zadorov extension, or you know, you know, they they'd like to keep him around long term, but priority still got to be getting Elias Patterson and, and Philip Ronick, oh. right? Oh, and those are going to be two. You know, and, and you nailed it, Dan. Okay, but so what's the, the caps going up? What's that number going to be? Canucks do have, you know, the Tyler Myers probably going to be coming off the books, yeah. so you have six million there to play with, right? On the Patterson front, I was told this guy's that Pat Brisson, his agent, met with. Uh, Patrick Alvin in Denver last week, okay, and um, they, they they had a, a good chit chat. That I think that was eight days ago, and so they're talking. But um, it, what I've been told on Patterson is, um, you know, I don't I don't I don't have any sense of urgency to get it done today or tomorrow. That one will, you know, Patterson talks will continue, but not at the pace everyone expects. This will take time. But the fact that Pat Brisson traveled to Denver to meet with Patrick Alvin. That's a pretty good sign that, you know, dialogue continues. He'll keep chipping away at it. But there's no urgency on, because he's in RFA. He's club control for another year. He's not a UFA till 2025. The biggest story in, in the Pedersen is that they continue to talk and he wants to stay in Vancouver and he wants to get the deal done. And I certainly don't have, I, every time I talk uh, to any any side in that negotiation is all you get is you know it, it, it you know someone told me to chill yesterday take a chill pill um you know it's it's not going to happen today or tomorrow they'll pack away at it slowly i think you know we'll see ultimately what happens but would you say that it's more about Pedersen getting to the point where he's ready to get this done? Because my guess would be, Rick, and it's my guess, that Vancouver is more than willing to play ball with what Pedersen wants. Oh, yeah. I think both sides want to get it done. I, 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 everything I've been told, Sat, is that, you know, and go back to the summer when Pedersen did the boat interview with Elliot and look at the chaos in the market and the fear mongering. He's gone, he's gone, he's gone. Well, He's not gone because Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford continue to talk to Pat Brisson and J.P. Berry despite that interview. And uh, I just don't I, I don't sense anything negative there. I think they're just going to slowly peck away at it and peck away at it and hopefully get it done. But I I certainly am not hearing anything alarming. I mean, I mean, we can only report what we know about to today, but I, I, I don't I, I just sense from all sides they want to get it done. 
again, he's the better half of Donnie and Dolly. It's Rick Dollywall here on uh, on Canuck Central. Thanks for this, Dolly. All right, guys, anytime. Uh, there he is, Rick Dollywall. Yeah, great stuff from Rick, as always, um, on the Elias Pettersson front as well. And there doesn't seem to be any real trepidation. Yeah. But it's just kind of quiet in terms of you know how that's all going to unfold. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of getting him signed, Zadorov, so I agree. You want to get a sense of where you're at with Pedersen and Philip Hironik, but don't they probably have a ballpark amount in their mind already? Yeah. You know, like you're probably thinking, like I've gone, when I'm looking at the Canucks cap picture next year, I've always looked at it as about $19 million combined, somewhere right. around that, right? Maybe slightly more, maybe slightly less, like who knows how it goes. But so fact, 12 for Pedersen, 7, seven for, for Hironik. Yeah. Or like 11 for Pedersen, 8 for, depends yeah. on the term or whatever, maybe 20, right? Let's just save 20 for argument's sake because you, you shade a little bit higher. Well, that would mean Vancouver would have $10 million in cap space, but that $10 million would be to fill three spots, plus they would have Pullman and LTIR. Yeah. So you can you can still fill the roster out, right? Like especially if Olman's going to be here and Bluger's going to be priced out, and you sign Zadorov, you could be at a point like like I mentioned before. I think right now, if you even factor in twenty million here for Hronik and, and Hugh and Pedersen together for an extension, and you fill out the roster with some league men guys like Juleson and, and Breezeball as your seven eight defenseman, for instance, yeah. right? And you bring you have Olman as a center, and let's say put Colson comes up on a million dollar contract, you go through that. The Canucks will have have roughly ten million to fill three spots: two top four defensemen, or two defensemen, and maybe a forward. Maybe you go thirteen forward, maybe a higher end forward. So you have essentially ten million or so with LTIR to spend on three players. So you could think of it that way and say, well, we know we're going to have ten to eleven million in cap space, and do we feel comfortable getting Zadorov three and a half to four of that or whatever it is? So I do think there's a world where he does sign over the next few weeks here mm-hmm. potentially, because you probably have a ballpark idea at the very least of what you're doing with Pedersen and Hironik. I know we did get a couple of questions uh, about Zadorov and how much you know the cost would be to ballpark it. He's at three seven five right now. Um, he's probably not looking to take a, uh, a pay cut yeah. necessarily depends on maybe term. the term. If you go a little bit longer for a player who is uh, going to be 29 in April of this year, but it's, I think a Susie type of contract. I was just going to say right. something like that. Like, I don't think he's, I don't think there's enough there for him and Dan Milstein to, ask for like 5 million or yeah. something like that. Like that would be, uh, you know, maybe he was asking for that in Calgary cause he didn't really want to stay in Calgary. I don't know, but I would say, you know, probably a fair deal is probably around 4 million two three years. Like yeah. that's kind of what a four, five, six type defenseman gets on the open market. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the range you're looking yeah. at and we'll see ultimately if, and when that gets done. Now, we have a couple text messages, a few thoughts like yeah. this one, Mike in downtown Kelowna says bear is not the answer. We have to reach for higher, better top four defensemen and all that. Uh, Shane says, so why a rental? Why not a hockey trade? What is the love affair with bear? You just talked about how big long defensemen, uh, all this sort of stuff. Why even go after bear? You have, you have to think of it this way. Would you rather have on your roster Ethan Bear or Mark Friedman? Yeah. Would you rather have Ethan Bear or Noah Juleson? Would you rather have Ethan Bear or Guillaume Brisebois even as your sixth or seventh defenseman? Injuries are going to happen. What did Rick say about the contract for Ethan Bear? A million yeah. or so? That's not a lot. Like You can fit that in. I, and I know you have to you know send a few guys down, but there is room for you to sign Bear for a million bucks if that's yeah. what he's willing to sign for, right? 
that's the, that's the way I look at it. I don't look at it as Bears this top four answer and here's a guy who's you know going to take this team to the next level. It's simply he's a right-hand defenseman. There's so few of them across the National Hockey League. There are none available in trade almost. Mm-hmm. And here's a guy who's a free agent. He may not be perfect, but is he better than what you have internally? Of course. Absolutely he is. And you could use maybe a puck-moving defenseman with all that size. Somebody yeah. gets hurt. Who knows how the team goes? What happens with Myers, for instance? Don't look at it as, here's Ethan Bear as a long-term solution. Look at it as, how can he help you with your depth? Yesterday, I mentioned on the show, I don't like Ethan Bear being your priority because mm-hmm. I don't know when he's going to help you, and maybe he won't even help you all that much. But if you get a defenseman, another defenseman via trade, and then you sign Bear, I'm all for it. And I think that's the way you look at it. Would you rather have him or Friedman or Juleson on your roster? It's, uh, I mean, if you were to just look at the Canucks defense right now, if everybody's healthy and they sign Ethan Bear, is he not the seventh defenseman? Yeah. What well, I mean, very well you could have be. Hughes, Hironic, yeah. Cole Myers, Susie Zadorov. That's six. Yeah. So you'd essentially be signing Ethan Bear, who was a top pair guy for you last year with, with Quinn Hughes, to be your seventh defenseman. That's not bad. And it also gives you options. Maybe a team does start calling on Tyler Myers closer to the deadline. You get a second-round pick there. It opens up some cap space, and you want to go out and get a forward maybe after that. You know, I, I, I've said this a bunch of times. Like, Patrick Alvine and, and Jim Rutherford, the way they seem to, to go about their moves, they're the Dennis Rodman meme. You know, they're just, like, moving all these pieces around until they get to eventually the piece that they ultimately want. And I think that's uh, not out of the question, but, you know, if they, if they are going to add a piece up front – now that they've acquired a defenseman, they're going to have to open up cap space somehow. So that's sort of like down the line how they can continue adding to this team. Somehow money's going to have to come off the books, just like it did with Bavillier. Well, yeah, and now we're talking about if you get Bear into and you have the depth on the blue line, you're probably not looking to make a trade. And here's the thing. like, Sure, i loved for you to get a top four defenseman, but I've gone through every team's roster, Dan, and I do it every single night, and I yeah. look at, at trade you know, possibilities and who's available, who are the right-hand defensemen that are available, and you come back to the same three or four names, that we talk about all the time. Chris Tanev, maybe, and we yep. know what's going on with him, right? You go, you look at guys like Dante Fabro, do they trade him, maybe? Mm-hmm. But again, like, are they even trading him to begin with? The guys in Columbus? Brett Pesce, the guys in Columbus kind of come up. And if you're looking at good defensemen, I mean, who's going to be available? Like, unless a Philip Hironico all of a sudden magically comes on the trade market, there isn't really anybody there who's available to begin with. So... You can talk about adding a better top four defenseman all you want, but yeah. if, if that's your only goal, you might be waiting until the offseason anyways. Well, and realistically, even the top teams, most of them don't go at best four, four deep, you know? And they might have a third pair that they like, but, I mean, the LA Kings, who, who's on their third pair, <laughs> you know? Right now, the Vegas Golden Knights, who are in town tonight, they've got Ben Hutton playing on their third pair. The uh, LA Kings have... Jordan Spence on their third pair and Andreas England. And that's because partially because Tobias Bjornfoot has not played well for them. And they're still having a ton of success because their top four is good. Right now, the Canucks, you know, they, they love their top pair and they're getting enough out of their three and four guys. But the bottom pair, since Susie got hurt, it's it's really struggled. And yeah basically untrustable f- from the coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, people say, I'd rather have uh, rotate Abbotsford guys and they get some development. Do you want to give guys development in the playoffs or you want guys that can play? I mean, who's a right-hand defenseman currently in the minors where you're like, this guy's going to play for us next season? 
I mean, Juleson's like 26, and he's not. We all know he's a depth guy. Juleson's a seven eight. It, it's know? Cole McWard, maybe. Yeah. Right, it's him. But could he not just use the time in the AHL anyways? Yes, he could. It's his first year of pro hockey. There's nothing wrong with having legitimate depth. Now, if Bear wants more than a million bucks to say, hey, good luck. Go yep. somewhere else or whatever. But if you again, you can fit that in cap wise. You can send a few guys down because right now, when you look at the Canucks cap situation, it says with LTIR is two guys. But you also have to factor in that once two guys come in, you have to subtract two guys from the roster as well, and that clears up money. And you can go with twenty two players instead of twenty three. So they can easily sign Bear for a million bucks. But that's all the cap space they have now. Quickly, Austin Langley asks us, "What's the ideal D pairs when they're healthy?" And we'll see with Bear. He hasn't been added, obviously. But what do you think the ideal D pairs are? It's tough. <laughs> I, you know what? I know at the beginning of the year I wasn't uh, so in love with having Hughes and Hronik together, but now I think you can keep them together. Um, I'd I'd stick with Hughes Hronik. I'd go Cole and Zadorov, and then Susie Myers when they're healthy because I liked what I saw from them earlier. That's essentially kind of the way I view it as well. Um, Maybe because I, I, I think Susie's at his best on his left side. Yeah, I think the other way you would do it is if you have Cole on the right side, mm-hmm. and you go Susie Cole, Cole playing the right side, and then you have Zadorov Myers, and then you feel a bit more steady that way, maybe defensively, for instance. But I'm with you. I'd rather try Zadorov on the right to begin with. He's he's out of the lefties, the guy who's most comfortable playing the right side. Uh, we will uh, get to more of your texts and tweets. We'll also yes quickly. Uh, Mike and Langley is asking us: Will Zadorov, Zadorov play tonight? He's not playing tonight. Yeah, Zadorov is not playing against the Vegas Golden Knights. Probably see him on Saturday against the Flames. Uh, we will get to more of your tweets and your texts. We'll also uh, welcome Julian McKenzie into the conversation from the Athletic Calgary. Their view of this trade and how it all went down. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canuck Central. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Big Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. It is hour number two. And this hour of Canuck Central is brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. The Canucks making a trade today because it's a day that ends in Y. So, you know, Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford had to make a deal. Yes, uh, (laughs) the most active. We love it. We love it. They're making me eat crow when I talk about how the NHL doesn't make any trades. And I'm like, hey, you guys got to wait for, yes. for meaningful trades to happen. It's going to take a little bit of while. And the Canucks said, hold my beer. Yes. And here are two big trades. Wheeling and dealing Patrick Alvine. He had this one up his sleeve yesterday when he was on the show with us, but uh, did not, did not let us know that uh, there was maybe something coming down the pipeline. And Look, it's, uh, I guess, uh, the uh, words to use, maybe a tidy bit of business by the Vancouver Canucks, a 2026 third rounder and uh, the fifth rounder that they just acquired from Chicago in the Anthony Beauvillier deal. And, you know, as a rental, it's not expensive. You know, they took advantage of the situation with Calgary 
And that's how the Canucks have added to their defense. Let's bring in our next guest covering the Calgary Flames at the Athletic. It is uh, Julian McKenzie. Thanks for this, Julian. How are you? I'm doing very well yourselves. Uh, we're, we're doing pretty good. You know, Patrick Alvine and the Canucks keep uh, giving us trades to talk about, so we're never going to complain too much about that. Uh, but uh, if your takeaway from Calgary's perspective on, uh, I guess, the return they got for Nikita Zadorov. At first, I was a bit surprised, considering the fact that they, they get a third-rounder that's only going to be available to them in 2026, and they get a fifth-rounder this year. And I guess my expectations, and I think some fans' expectations, were that the return was a little bit light. But when you consider the fact that Vancouver is taking on his entire salary and they don't have to use a retention slot, that's a plus. Uh, the the fact that uh, the Flames, they, at least they said that they're they're intending on using that vacant spot of his to call up a younger player at some point. And there are a few guesses in my mind. There's there's Jeremy Poirier, a really talented young offensive defenseman who has been uh, injured for the start of the year and could be healthy. It remains to be seen when he'll be healthy, but that's someone who I have in mind who could take that spot. There's Ilya Slovoyov as well, who has already played two games with the team. And a lot of fans of this market want to see younger players, so that's also a plus as well. When you also think of the fact that this team used Nikita Zadorov as a third-pairing defenseman, like their, their top four with Hannafin, Tanev, Uyghur, Anderson, you have Zadorov in that third-pairing spot. You get two draft picks for him. I mean, that's also a plus as well. But the only question I really have is just why now? Like, why make the trade right now? Why not wait until – the deadline. It's my understanding that uh, there was no, even though, yes, Nikita Zadorov asked for a trade, there was no deadline to, to, to make a trade happen. It wasn't as if Zadorov's camp, and Conroy even said this on 960 just now, that they weren't under any pressure to make a trade right now this minute. I mean, yes, Conroy obviously wants guys who want to be on the team, but he was under no pressure or duress to get this player out of here as soon as humanly possible. I'm still wondering what the return would have been like if Zadorov was flipped at the deadline where more teams could actually add cap space with accrued cap space, you know, especially if they're not using LTIR, and what the return could have been. But considering what they were able to get right now and considering the benefits that could benefit the Flames in the future, I can understand why this move was made. And, you know, the fact that they can accrue cap space right now, which gives them a, a chance to pivot even at the deadline. And could you be a buyer? Are you a seller? At least it gives you some options. And I think the other thing, and it's hard to get, you know, real confirmation on this, but you hear the rumors and the buzz about uh, how the team was not too pleased and the teammates of Zadorov maybe were not too pleased with uh, some of the things he said and uh, and him maybe publicly demanding a trade. So is it fair to say that maybe that locker room is, is pretty elated that uh, they've made this subtraction? I won't speak for the locker room on that. What I will say is that they had meetings after that happened and they addressed it the way that they were able to address it where I believe Michael Backlund had a conversation with him and uh, Ryan Huska addressed the group as well on that topic. And it seemed as if the team had found a new win, a new life in terms of how they've been able to adjust to concepts and just how they've been able to play better specifically against teams like a Vegas or, or even a Dallas a couple of nights ago. Um, so I, I don't know if it's fair to say that they're elated that a guy like Nikita Zadorov is, is God. I, I think the fact that he, he's a personality. So 
So I, I can't imagine that there are guys in that locker room who are going to be happy, all the way happy, that that personality is gone. Um, maybe from a distraction standpoint, they might think a little differently. But I, I'll, I'll refrain from commenting on, on how the locker room might feel about it until we hear more guys say. What I will say, too, with regards to cap space, I know when I initially said that, I thought more of maybe other prospective teams and their salary cap situations. Should be pointed out to the Flames, uh, Jacques Pelte still on LTIR. Kevin Rooney, I believe, still also uh, injured as well. So once those young players get off, once that, once that situation rectifies itself, then the Flames can accrue that cap space. But the fact that the Flames just have that flexibility with their salary now, I mean, I think that's good for them. I, I think that, I mean, any opportunity where they can free up space for themselves uh, is obviously going to be a good thing, depending on if they somehow want to add, which would still surprise me, considering the pending UFAs that they have. But it's always just good to have that flexibility with your salary cap when you can get it. So, Nikita Zadorov, uh, your your uh, your best scouting report on uh, on uh, what the Canucks are getting here. Big body, left shot. What he and and the thing that surprises me all the time with him is how he can skate. I love seeing this dude have the puck on his stick and decide, oh, I'm just going to do some end-to-end action. Uh, one thing I like seeing him as well, he's unafraid of trying to enter the zone. And, you know, normally we'll see with defensemen who try to be offensive, uh, a lot of them may try to hang around the point and try to let that bomb go off from there. And, yes, he can do that. But Zadorov does have a tendency to try to hang around the wall on the left-hand side and try to see if he can make a play from there or try to get a lot of shots off from there too. So I think that there are fans who are going to enjoy the offensive capabilities. The thing for me is that it seems when he makes a, def- a mistake defensively, it's, it's, it's a mistake you're going to notice. Like, there's been times this year where he's mishandled the puck and it's directly led to chances or goals against. Uh, I remember vividly last year uh, against the Boston Bruins, uh, he tried to make a big hit on a player uh, and he ends up kind of taking out his own player and it frees up the Bruins and it leads to a goal. So I think there is a bit of a, like a high-risk, high-reward situation with, with, with the Nikita Zadorov, and I think he's still a good fit on a bottom-pairing situation. And if you, put him in that, if you put him in that spot, you're going to get a player who is able to be dynamic offensively. You just kind of need him to play with someone who's a lot more responsible defensively. He did have time with uh, Chris Tanev while, while he was here and Mackenzie Weger, uh, but he did spend the majority of his time on that third pairing. How have you seen him play the right side? And if so, how comfortable did he look playing the right side? I think like in limited spurts. I was trying to remember from from last year, but primarily he's a he's a left guy. I know for you guys, uh, the Canucks would probably would have rather have gotten a right shot defenseman or right pairing guy. I think for him, because in Calgary he was able to just kind of work it out with a couple other different players. I think putting him on the right side to start might not be the best idea. I think just having him come up with the left on the left side and having him play with some of those guys and getting adjusted would help. Uh, but yeah, I think in, in Calgary, just he tried to, I think because of, the, of how he got used to some of the players in the market and, and, and that, I think that just kind of made it a little bit more malleable for him. And he was able to get used to everybody. I think for Vancouver, at least to start, you're probably better off putting him on the left-hand side just to kind of get him acclimated to everything if he feels that comfort or if he feels he's able to play on that right side, maybe you do that. But I really think for him it's probably best you keep him on the left. We know how uh, how tough the start was, but now just uh, a shade under 500. Uh, 
Still have a couple of big pending UFAs, as we all know, and we'll continue talking about Julian. But uh, has has Calgary, has Craig Conroy, think, uh, you know, decided outside of this, maybe uh, we can settle down now and see where the rest of the season takes us before making any more decisions? That's the sense I get from Craig Conroy. He literally, before I got on with you guys, he had an interview with uh, Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 here in Calgary, and he made it clear, or as clear as he could make, that this trade does not have any effect on uh, his strategy for pending UFAs, and it doesn't seem as if this is going to be the start of a retool or a rebuild that so many people in Calgary want. So I think from here on out, he is going to look at this team, see how they can play against uh, the opposition that they have in front of them. Specifically with the Dallas Stars, where they're playing against tonight, Connor even said that uh, he, he feels his team can win, and he expects his guys to go out and play and win against the Dallas Stars team, which I think kind of gives me an idea that at least until necessary, he wants to just kind of see how it can go with this team. And now that he can settle down a bit, I, I, I would be very surprised if he – felt trigger happy to kind of move on from those pending UFAs between now and the deadline. I think I'm inclined to think he's still going to try to wait it out for those other guys and also see how his team's going to play. Uh, it, obviously, with the Zadorov situation, he, he felt he kind of had to make a move sooner than maybe some people felt he should have. But I, I don't expect to see him be trigger happy with his three other pending UFAs right now. As far as uh, Elias Lindholm is concerned, I mean, he's such a talented player and he's a unique right-handed center who's good two-way, can score, obviously hasn't really gotten loose so far this year. Does it seem like big picture, though, that it's more unlikely he stays there, or do you think think there's still a chance to get something done with an extension? I I, I would be very... That's a really good question because it, it just really seems like to me like money is the biggest thing holding it up because mm-hmm. Elias Lindholm has gone out of his way to say that he would like to stay. And, and that's something that's, that was made clear from training camp. And if you're in a situation where you have a player who the GM has said that he, he thinks highly of him and the player is saying that he wants to stay, what does that leave you with? It's got to be money, right? I, I think right now because of the start that he's on, uh, if he wants that contract above eight seven five nine million going forward, I don't know if that's a prudent thing to do, and if it's something that his camp is still kind of steadfast on, uh, I'd be surprised if they committed to that extension. But also, again, we have to see what happens with this team going forward. If they find themselves in a position where retooling is the best thing to do, then the idea of, of negotiating a contract is null and void. At the same time, they really cannot afford to put themselves in a situation where they're left hanging and guessing with the life of situation past the deadline and then possibly risking him for nothing. Julian, uh, we appreciate the time today, especially on short notice. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, there is uh, Julian McK- McKenzie covering uh, the Calgary Flames at the Athletic. And uh, some good insights there on Nikita Zadorov, what he's bringing to the Vancouver Canucks, and his take on uh, why the Flames made that move now. Yeah, and, you know, he, he describes the player uh, in terms of good offensively, good shot and everything, can make some mistakes. And, and I think as... Again, I'm, I think this is a good move for Vancouver. They upgrade their blue line. Undoubtedly, he's better than some of the options they've had on the blue line, especially through the injuries. He's not a perfect player, however. I mean, no. if you look at his ice time as well, I mean, he's a guy who's, who gets trusted, but he's never played 20 minutes a game 
during a season. He, he usually he averages 18, 16, he, about um, 18 minutes for his career. This These past couple of years in Calgary, about 18 minutes a game, but fluctuates anywhere from 17 to kind of 19 minutes per game, right? He's very much a low-end number four, if he is a number four, more mm-hmm. so of a five-four, right? So it comes down to what type of situation are you putting him into and how is he going to have success? And as we were discussing a bit earlier, this blue line is still very much relying on Hughes and Hironic. Yes. Now, at the very least, you have a guy who is a credible NHL defenseman who gives you some credible, tangible benefits. But it's still there are still some limitations into what you're going to ask of him and what you should expect from him. And I think... It, it raises the floor, undoubtedly. It improves the great li- blue line greatly when you consider guys like Mark Friedman have been playing, and we mentioned Noah Juleson and his struggles, and then we go through guys like Hirose, who still look like they're not playing all that great, and Colin Caribou, who says he watches all the Abbotsford games, uh, mentions the only two guys that, that look like they can actually play some NHL games are Willannon and Irwin, and Willannon's been injured. Today, the head coach mentioned when Willannon gets up to speed, he's returning to the lineup here soon, that he is an option for them to get called up. But you don't have a ton of options yeah. internally either. And we know, as we've seen, it's still a big upgrade on it. But I think you, you have to be realistic, too, about what you're expecting from this player and not to expect him to come in and be a guy who plays 21, 22 minutes and plays at a, at a supremely high top four level. There's also, again, um, I don't think it's a coincidence that we've seen some players have a lot more success in the Rick Tockett system than we'd seen otherwise. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Myers... Carson Soucy, once he got up to speed, especially with the um, the way the coach talked about wanting to bring in size and thinks that it fits in with the way that they want to play. Uh, I think they have an idea of how to get or what they want or how they think they can make that work, having potentially two, six, five guys on the same pair and clogging up the neutral zone, clogging up and being able to defend their own defensive blue line and really make it tough on teams to get entries. So I think there is uh, there is sort of a method to the madness, and that's kind of what we've seen, right? Have, have, they, have they done enough to, to earn that level of, what's the word, um, you know, the benefit of the doubt that there is a method to the madness and the types of players that they're acquiring and how they plan to use the players that they're acquiring? There are a lot of people texting in and saying that management deserves more credit. Like, yeah. you know, they're underrated. They make a lot of good moves. What's the bad trade they've made? Like, objectively bad trade they've made so far. With Zadorov, it remains to be seen, right? We'll see how yeah. he fits in and everything. But in terms of the price of acquisition, the upgrade on the blue line, it looks to be a, a good move, right? But what's the trade that hasn't worked out? The only one I can think of is the Jack Studnika one, Myron Burke yeah. for Studnika. And even Studnika, you can view it as he's some decent depth and he's still young, and but he's still a guy that went through waivers. Nobody picked him up. Maybe that's the one where you traded a decent prospect for uh, Studnika. You're not going to win every trade. It's no. reality. But I, that's the only trade I can think of off the top of my head. Travis say, Dermott, maybe. But even Dermott, you're right. Didn't work out, hurt. but he got hurt. Yeah. And he looked fine before he got hurt. But yeah, you can mention that one. He gets injured. But outside of injury... The Studnika one, maybe. Yeah, Dermot. Yeah. That's, but that's pretty much it's, it. It's a very short list. Somebody mentions uh, Dickinson, for, Dickinson for Stillman wasn't good at the time. Fair, but that was a move to get rid of cap space. Yes. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, hey, we're trading a second, you know, to go. It was to get rid of Dickinson's contract. And at least they got Riley Stillman back and turned into Josh Bloom, who's a who's a prospect now in, in the system. 
But that was a trade to, to get rid of cap space. But in terms of a hockey type of move, like have they lost a the trade? They haven't really lost a trade. Not a significant Maybe one. Maybe the Studnika one, like yeah, I mentioned. But where... even that, not not really a significant trade. Um We'll see. Maybe Myrenberg turns out to be the next Gustav Forsling. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, it's uh, as of right now, it still feels like a, a low impact trade that, yeah, maybe maybe you lost. Um, yeah. It's, it's people texting in Lazar. Lazar was a free agent signing. Mm-hmm. They traded him and got a pick back in return. It's, so at least they turned a guy into a draft pick. You know, I'm sure somebody would make the argument, well, well why take on Bavillier in the, in the Horvat trade? Uh, why didn't they get an extra asset? Uh, to take on Bovillier's money, if if the Islanders truly business. needed to, to for them to take Bovillier in order to make the trade work, I mean, yeah, cost of doing business. Patrick Alvin essentially explained they wanted to get the best first round pick that they possibly could in a Bo Horvat deal, and that was it. And there wasn't a ton of teams out there that had the ability to take on Horvat's full contract. At the time. So you were always going to have to take back a little bit of money from somebody, likely, and uh, they ended up doing it there uh, with Anthony Beauvillier. And uh, it turns into uh, now Nikita Zadorov. Yeah, in a way. and they flipped. Yeah, I mean, uh, partially pay part, part of the freight, a fifth-round yes. pick, right? And t- to me, maybe we can look at some of these trades and say, did they... Um, you know, how big are the wins? I, I think they're pretty good, right? Yes. But in terms of like, we're, we're sitting here nitpicking on maybe the Dickinson trade, maybe the, the Jack Studnika trade and, and stuff like that. In terms of the bigger decisions they've made, in terms of the talent acquisition and free agency as well, do you trust management making calls on players? It seems pretty good. Like their track record on free agent signings and on trade acquisitions and how they fit on the team, there's far more wins than losses yes like far more so far um their pro scouting you might say it has been uh, on point with the players that they've acquired you know even uh, somebody like sam lafferty again to bring up but uh, everybody like every player that they've acquired for this season has seemingly fit in really well yeah and Patrick even mentioned this to us it wasn't a a huge part of the interview yesterday but he did uh, sort of speak to it that, you know, we have now that we're playing in our structure, we have a way that we're playing, we have an identity. Um, and when we see there's a hole on the team, we can look through the analytics, look through the types of players that might be available and whittle down the list of yeah. who are the players that would fit this specific role on the roster that we are seeking and they've done that quite a bit, whether it's Sam Lafferty, Teddy Bluger. We've seen it with, uh, you know, Carson Soucy and Ian Cole on the back end this year as well. And they've done a really good job of not just, you know, oh, this guy was good here. Let's let's bring him in and see if how it works. I, there's there's definitely a lot more thought that's going into it. The talent acquisition and the fit uh, determination has been very good, right? You're right. It, there's a clear plan to the types of players they're adding and what they're expecting out of them. And lo and behold, they trust yes. the coaching staff and they're having success doing those things, right? And I see others mentioning, like Jay and Poco, they're going after the left-handed defenseman. They should have added a righty. righty. And that's why they're still in on Ethan Bear. Like, uh, you know, Elliot mentioned it. We yes. spoke to him. So did Rick Dollywall. Maybe around a million bucks or something for Ethan Bear. So there's another righty if they sign. So now you get another righty in terms of depth. But if all you're waiting for is adding a right-handed defenseman via trade, Good luck, man. Like, yeah. okay, so so 
There's a lot of teams that play six left shot defensemen because there's no righties out there. There aren't enough. So if you're just going to limit and say, all I'm doing is going to go after righties for the right side. Well, I know the coach has been hesitant to play a lefty on the right side, but he's going to have to at some point. It's just, it's a numbers game. And if you're not willing to add a lefty, that means you're not going to really going to be able to add, improve your blue line significantly. So the cost to acquire Chris Tanev is going to be significantly more than Zadorov, significantly more. They probably want close to a first-round pick and a premium from Vancouver to make that type of trade. What's another right-hand defenseman who's available? Uh, Chris Tanev. I just mentioned him, and that's it. Like that's the only guy. Uh, like Chris Andrew Peak. Yeah, but uh, Adam like, how, Do I want to add Peak in three more years no. on his contract? No, especially if I'm not getting rid of money off the books. Same thing with Boquist. He has two years, another year left at two point six five. Like. Brett Pesce, at cost of acquisition just doesn't really make sense so for the Canucks. Pesce, he's a, yeah, I mean, Carolina's going to want an arm and a leg to make that yeah, move. Not, it's a first not, round not pick even plus. just the, the the trade, but also like what it would cost to re-sign him. And because this is, the Canucks aren't a team that are going to just sign him as a rental or trade for him as a rental. No, and this is why, like, when you go through the list of available defensemen and even guys who play the right side and just kind of do a, just go through and look at the player and ask yourself, are they even willing to trade this guy? Yes. And then look at the situation and see how many of these guys are actually going to be available. Unless, like, a Hironic becomes available magically where Iserman calls Alvin and says, hey, do you want this guy? Unless something like that happens, there's really nobody you can point to and say, hey, this should have gone and got that guy. There just isn't. And this is why I mentioned yesterday on the show, Dan, that, and we asked Alvin this, as much as you're talking about you guys want to have a lefty-righty, like, do you, do you have to consider adding a left-handed defenseman? And we we asked the question, like, should you not be willing to do that with Susie Inger too? And if you're willing to play a couple righties like Friedman and Juleson, yeah. on the left side for depth like why not have a higher caliber player do that on the left side you know so i was expecting them to add a lefty at some point because i think that's your best option like you just didn't have a realistic option outside of ethan bear to add a right-hand defenseman you know today via trade uh this text sean walker out of uh philadelphia could be a name yeah second round pick plus yeah we're talking about rentals and the connects got Zadora for a third and a fifth Sean Walker, who's been playing well, and he may even sign an extension. What are they? What do they want for Sean Walker? Probably a second, a second round plus. Pick, yeah. So, what are you willing to pay for a rental? I ask you that. Mm-hmm. For a right-hand defenseman who's a rental, what are you willing to pay? And is Sean Walker that big of an upgrade on Ethan Bear? On top of that, and that's where it kind of comes in. Yeah, and that's why I like this trade for Zadorov. The price of acquisition makes a lot of sense. A uh, 2026 third round pick. You have a couple years to recoup that in, yeah. in other ways. Even if they don't extend extend them, cost of acquisition here is uh, not prohibitive in any way for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. We'll hear from Rick Tockett and get more into the game. Yes, it's actually a really big game tonight oh yeah by the way uh you know maybe uh, first in the western conference depending on who you ask is uh, is on the line <laughs> yeah. well i mean we we just got to change the goalposts every time there's uh there's there's ways to do it so <laughs> dan is sub talking <laughs> am i sub commenting maybe yeah <laughs> maybe it's canuck central on sports at 650